Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Friday, June 11th. COVID cases are up from a recent Bitcoin conference. America's largest reservoir is down to a historic low watermark, and we're focused on the White House's immigration plans. Kamala Harris earlier this week went on her first foreign trip since becoming vice president, visiting Guatemala and Mexico to, in her words, address the root causes of mass migration. Why it matters is the number of encounters between U.S. immigration officials and migrants at the southern border reached a 20-year high last month, coming in at over 180,000. That not only puts extreme pressure on America's immigration infrastructure, but it also means that lots of men, women, and children are making very dangerous treks north, often falling prey to those who are more than willing to exploit their desperation. Three things to know about Harris's trip. First, in Guatemala, she pledged both money and vaccines, arguing that economic and health distress are major reasons why Guatemalans are leaving. But both were relatively small amounts. $40 million for a program to boost education and economic opportunities for indigenous women and girls, plus an initial 500,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses. Two, the big headline of the trip was Harris telling potential migrants, quote, do not come, which caused outrage from many on the left. On the right, criticism was mostly about Harris opting not to visit the border, and a statement to NBC which seemed to suggest she already had, which she hadn't. Three, the Biden White House rhetoric on immigration is 180 degrees from the Trump administration rhetoric, and Biden has ended some policies like remain in Mexico. But he continues to use a pandemic-related tool called Title 42, which lets border officials quickly return migrant adults and families to Mexico. Of the 180,000 migrant encounters at the border last month, over 112,000 resulted in migrants being turned away under Section 42. So today we want to speak with Juan Gonzalez, special assistant to the president, about what Harris's trip was meant to accomplish, what it did accomplish, and what happens next on immigration policy. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Juan Gonzalez, special assistant to the president and NSC senior director for the Western Hemisphere. Uh, Juan, let's start big picture here. What were the primary goals for Vice President Harris's trip? First, it's been a few months since the president asked the vice president to lead international efforts to address the root causes of migration. The conversation they've been having is that, you know, traditionally people look at the border as really the only tool to address migration. But since the inauguration, the president's been pushing for immigration reform. So with the introduced legislation, we've been looking at surging capability at the border, given the kind of state of affairs that we inherited from the previous administration to make sure that it's something that we actually have a functioning asylum system. But then the other piece of that is, I think fundamentally what we think is that uh, is that the only sustainable way to address the root causes of migration and sustainably manage migration in a, in a regular, fair, uh, and transparent manner is to actually invest in the security and prosperity of the region. So she's been holding a lot of meetings, talking to a lot of members of Congress, CEOs, philanthropies, to try to form a kind of broad coalition in support of addressing these issues. But as part of her role in, in helping us design a strategy, she needed to go firsthand, talk to these people, not just the government, but she met with women entrepreneurs, she met with civil society leaders. Um, and so now she has some ground truth that is really going to inform her engagement with Congress, help shape the U.S. government strategy, and it just helped her kind of play that leadership role. Dealing with migration and immigration issues was something that President Biden was tasked with when he was vice president. What is the difference or what are the differences between Vice President Harris's approach and 
then Vice President Biden's. I had the pleasure of and the honor to actually work with then Vice President Biden when he was working on this strategy. I would say the two of them have a very similar approach. Number one, they're very detail-oriented, uh, and they don't want to just take you know, government recommendations on faith. They want to actually study these issues in a, in a very detailed manner. So she's been having a, regular meetings, calls, consulting. The, the I think one of the kind of the differences here is that when Biden worked on this, we were in the home stretch of the Obama-Biden administration. We were actually in the middle of a trip to the region when we were asked to go to Guatemala to meet with the countries of the region because there was a surge at our border. And that's how things started. And he basically had like a year and a half of runway to put together the entire strategy and start executing on it. What was really strong was that he had a bipartisan approach to it, that he was very hands-on and that he understood from his experience uh, working on Plan Colombia and other parts of the world that he needed partners that were willing to rise to the crisis at hand. So any sort of U.S. support was combined with commitments in terms of funding by the regional governments, but also specific reforms that they committed to. Now, what Vice President Harris has done, which has actually been fascinating to watch, is that the first thing she asked was what worked and what maybe needed some work. And so we did a full study, pulled in kind of NGO think tank reports. USAID had done a report. And she kept a lot of what Biden had done that was affected. What, what she has built upon has been that she understands that the U.S. can't do this alone. And given that the region is even more challenging now and that we have a little bit more runway because we're at the beginning of the administration, she's brought in philanthropies. She's made the role of the private sector something that's central. The anti-corruption piece is not just a punitive kind of U.S. law enforcement piece, but one where there's a profit proposition to it because you're getting CEOs. That's why she had this call of action before the trip. And she also said, last point is that for her, countries are more than their governments, is what she tells us. She said, we have to engage the governments, but we also have to engage the private sector, civil societies, and other actors to make sure that we're engaging across the board. As you know, the vice president got a lot of backlash, particularly on the left, for a statement she made basically telling people not to come to the border does the White House still stand by that message to asylum seekers? Yeah, look, I, what I'll say on that, and I, and I saw the press conference, I was there with her, the the full kind of phraseology that she used was, do not come because it is a danger, dangerous journey. We are working to create legal pathways for migration because we don't want to stop migration, but we want to make sure that it is safe, regulated, and fair. Her argument was the journey is dangerous, the border is dangerous. Let us create these alternative pathways for you to actually come so you don't have to risk your life and play a smuggler to actually come up here. Can I ask about that? For, say, somebody from Guatemala, if the argument is that you want to make it not this dangerous path that they literally have to walk these hundreds of miles, how do you create that pathway? What does that look like? Yeah, so we started the Central America Miners Program under the Obama-Biden administration. That was something that was slow to take off. We're looking to restart that and expand it. The other is you actually can actually create opportunities for individuals to petition for asylum from their country so they don't have to actually come and petition for asylum at the U.S. border. Can I stop you there for a second? I'm just curious. If the reason they're applying for asylum is because they think it is dangerous where they are— Staying where they are and waiting for a process to play out doesn't seem like it's going to necessarily be something they're going to want to go for. 
That's exactly, that's an excellent point. And so you also have, uh, under the Biden administration, we had what was called the provisional transfer arrangement so that you target specific communities where exactly, like in El Salvador, maybe you have somebody who is being threatened by gangs. Well, you find a way to put them in a in a different environment while they await that consideration. And so we're exploring those and many other options, including, you know, we've raised the the cap on, on H-2B visas. We've What we have found is while the U.S. has has advanced these sorts of initiatives, unless you have a temporary worker program associated with it, it's actually not effective. And so these are all tools that we're trying to get off the ground and expand to offer alternatives. But it's also one thing that the vice president talks about a lot is the importance of offering hope, because a lot of what she is is working on in terms of the root causes they're, they're long-term efforts. You're looking at transforming unequal societies where corruption is endemic, where violence is widespread, and where the presence of the state is not apparent in other places. When, when she talks about hope, it's she surged $310 million in humanitarian assistance to people affected by the impact of the hurricane because people don't want to leave, but they've lost their homes. So finding short-term kind of offers of hope that show that the U.S. and the international community are coming in end force to respond to the crisis that these countries are facing. And, and that's another reason why she wanted to to be there in person and to send that message personally and to engage with people. We were at a university in Guatemala where she was actually talking to young women, majority indigenous women. There's a statistic that I think it's less than 10% of women in Guatemala own property. And that uh, amount is even smaller among the indigenous. And so actually in focus on this woman's empowerment initiative that she launched off uh, uh, while in Guatemala, these are key to not just expanding human capital and economic prosperity opportunities in countries like Guatemala. It's actually, it shows that the United States is investing not just in enforcing borders, but actually in investing in our partners. Let me ask about one of the other things she said in Guatemala, which was on this announcement of 500,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccines, which even she kind of acknowledged will make a dent, but it won't make a huge dent in the problem there. Is that the final number? It's just the beginning. That initial announcement was the 25 million uh, of the 80 million that we're going to deploy by the end of June. So you're going to see more of this. Not just that, but you saw the announcement that the president made that we've purchased half a billion doses uh, of vaccines from Pfizer that we're going to actually share with the world as well. The president and the vice president have, have identified the Latin American Caribbean region as a priority for this, not just because they are immediate neighbors, but because they, they're a region that has been impacted dramatically by the pandemic. You said it's only the beginning. If I'm sitting in Guatemala and I'm not somebody who's getting one of those half a million doses, when can I expect the next announcement of the next batch? So I can't speak to the announcement, but I, the full 80 million is something that we're trying to deploy. Are we talking weeks, months? I would say, well, it has to be weeks because we are, uh, the commitment is to actually deploy all those doses, the 80 million, by the end of June. But what's important is that we didn't want to get out ahead of the pandemic, which is a dynamic situation. And we want the public health experts to really be making those decisions, not the regional policy folks that don't have that expertise like myself. We want the public health people making the calls. You talked about uh, Harris's pledge on behalf of the White House to kind of further education, economic development for girls and women. You're part of the NSC. How does that pledge relate to U.S. national security priorities? Guatemala, I think, was also a, it was important that she go there because Security is not a driver of migration. It is economic. Um, but I, by economic, I also mean climate-related migration. Guatemala is, is actually a fairly wealthy country compared to its neighbors. And it's this lack of access of economic opportunity, education, access to health, obviously the impact of, of climate on some of these communities. These are drivers of migration. And what that underscores for us is that we cannot build walls large enough to keep out somebody who wants to feed their children 
And it is in our interest, our national security interest, to invest in the security and prosperity of our immediate neighbors. I don't think we can ignore the problem. And and when we show that the U.S. is actually present and active, you know, the vice president traveled to Mexico and Guatemala, the president is currently in Europe, we have to be out there in the space. We can't actually ignore the problems on the other side of the border. Final question for you. Uh, as you know, there has been a growing pressure, particularly from Republicans, for Vice President Harris to visit the border. When will she visit the border? That you'll have to uh, ask the vice president. Is she there? Is she? Can you ask her? She's not. She's not here. Uh, you know. Uh, but but again, what she says is that to actually address the the situation at border, we have to address the crisis in the region. And I think she is very much focused on getting the work done. Will she visit the border? I mean, that's that's going to be a call that she will make, and I imagine that will happen at some point. But she is really focused on getting the work done. That's and she said not not empty gestures or photo ops. She wants to get the work done. Vice President Harris, uh, you have an open invitation to join us. Uh, Juan Gonzalez, uh, Special Assistant to the President and NSC Senior Director for the Western Hemisphere. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the FDA which decided that around 60 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine need to be junked because of possible contamination. All of those doses were manufactured in a Baltimore factory owned and operated by a company called Emergent Biosciences, which has been closed since it was discovered in March that Emergent workers had mixed an AstraZeneca vaccine ingredient into the Johnson & Johnson supply. The bottom line is this shouldn't have much impact on U.S. vaccine supply, which is now outpacing demand, but it will slow down Biden administration efforts to get the vaccine to other countries. And in case that doesn't sound terribly important, as you hang out with unmasked family and friends this weekend, we just learned that the number of global COVID deaths in 2021 has already topped the entire 2020 global death count. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, do so. Have a great national corn on the cob day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios recap.